That seems to fit today, too. The middle of the storm, and we're holding on. Hallelujah. We are holding on. To Jesus.
Amen. We don't have live stream at all, so I can act like I'm not. I don't have to worry about the whole world. So it's just you guys. You all love me. It's okay. So uh, we're going to have fun today. Hallelujah. We're here to worship the Lord, and that's all we want to do is worship the Lord and hear from Him. Yes, Jesus. I don't have any real agenda today except just to do that. We want to worship the Lord, and we want to hear from Him. Amen. I want to read from uh, Isaiah 55. I love, I love Isaiah 55. Ho, that means, alas, listen up. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. You don't get an offer like that from the world, do you? Yeah, come, buy wine, milk, without money, without price. Why do you spend for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me 
and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. And surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. and Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'm so glad he abundantly pardons. It's not a halfway, it's not a partial, it's an abundant deal that's overflowing. It is once for all, he pardons it. It's gone. Yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth, they make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands, and instead of the thorns shall come the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name." for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Sounds like God is going to throw a celebration and a parade for us. He says, you're going to go out with joy and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills are going to break forth into singing, and the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. That's a celebration. And it's not, it's not us celebrating. It is God celebrating over us because we're his people. So this morning, Lord, we are going to join in. We're going to celebrate and we're going to worship you because you are worthy, Lord yes. God. You alone are worthy. Yes, sir. We choose to set aside this time to exalt you Hallelujah. and to tell you how appreciative we are, how yes. grateful we are that your, your pardon is abundant towards us. It is not just partial, but it's Hallelujah. full. Thank Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that you have made a way, a new and living way so that we can come right into your presence and know you and experience you. Lord God, this morning, help us to to see you in all of your glory. As we worship you, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Show us your goodness, Lord. Help us to see you as you are. We want to hear from you today. As we worship you, Lord, come, fill this place with your presence. Touch and speak to each one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's worship. Sorry the soundboard's not working, but don't know the words, make them up. There you go.
Can I tell you that that's what Jesus wants to do? He is longing to meet us. That's why we come to church. That's why we do all this stuff, because he wants to meet with us. Hallelujah. And it wasn't free. It wasn't cheap. What he paid to make that possible, it is more than we can comprehend. It's more than we can understand. But we need to get a grip and begin to see how much God gave so that we could have this relationship with him. I mean, this is such an awesome thing. The Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you that you have made this way. We worship you, Lord, and we exalt you because you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy, Lord. You sought us out when we were sinners, when we were your enemies, Lord. You sought us out. You made this new and living way through the veil, your flesh, by your sacrifice. You took all of our sin, all of our guilt and shame and you took it upon yourself so that we could become the righteousness of God in you Lord Jesus thank you Lord that you've made this way so that we can know you that we can experience you in all of your glory and goodness Lord I thank you that that's just the beginning when we come into this relationship to know you and then it just grows and it grows and it grows and you're pouring your spirit out and you're filling us and you're leading us and you're teaching us and you're guiding us and you're with us day by day thank you, revealing yourself to us more and more Lord thank I thank you that you never give up Lord when we stub our toe you don't give up you don't cast us aside you seek us out and you restore us thank you, Jesus. Lord thank you Thank you that you want to speak to us, Lord. I thank you that that is your desire to reveal yourself to us, to tell us who you are, what you say about us, and what you reveal to us about yourself so that we can know you as you are, Lord. I thank you. It's not just, it's not just information, Lord. It's a relationship that you are revealing to us that we would see you and know you as our, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our friend, as our Father, as our, as our brother, Lord Jesus, we are heirs with you. We are joint heirs with you. We are children of God. Thank you, Lord. We want to see you that way. We want to know you that way. We want to experience all of your goodness and glory. And Lord, as we do that, help us. Help us to be so excited about it that we couldn't help but want to tell other people. We couldn't help but want to share the good news that's been given to us Lord that we were lost but now we're found we were blind but now we can see we may not see perfectly but we can see we may not know everything but we know something I know that Jesus is Lord and I know he rules and reigns in all the affairs of men Lord our world is all messed up and upside down right now and yet you the same God that made order out of chaos and of creation you're the same God that can bring order to our lives right now. You're the same God that can bring order to the United States and to your church and to our government and all these things that are going on. We're, we are confused and anxious and excited and nervous and frustrated and all the other things you could say about it. We're, all, we're just all messed up right now, Lord, and we need you. We need you to breathe life and peace into us. Let us know that in you, all things are possible, Lord, in you. All the stuff that seems to be out of place and out of whack can be put back in order. The people that are making decisions can have their hearts changed. 
people that are elected can be can be unelected and cast out and, and new people put in. There is nothing permanent about this world. It's all temporary. And Lord, I thank you that you're in control. Thank you, Jesus. And we as your people, Lord, we want to do our part. So we pray, we ask, Lord, that you turn the heart of this nation, that you turn our hearts, Lord, that you change our hearts, our leaders, that they would be able to hear from you, yes. and they would respond to you. And if they don't believe in you and they're not walking with you, then convict them and turn their hearts anyway and cause them to be saved and changed, Lord. And if they don't want to lead right, then get them out. And if they don't want to do the right things, then remove them. And Lord, reveal the truth of this nation. Let us understand the truth about our history, the truth about our politics, the truth about our economics, the truth about our relationship with the rest of the world and all the other things that are, are just out there and so many things are being said that are different than what we've always heard and believed. Lord, I just pray that the truth would be revealed, that we would know the truth. You are the truth, Lord, and you and your truth can set us free. Yes, and Lord, I pray that you give us discernment, give us the ability to tell the difference between truth and lies. Lies and deception lead us away and lead us astray, but the truth will set us free, Lord. I thank you that you are the truth, yes. the way, and the life, Lord. Yes. And you make that available to us so that we thank can you. know you and walk with you. Yes. And when we walk in the light, we don't have to worry about stumbling and falling in the darkness because we're walking in the light. And your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Yes. It shines and leads us and guides us, Lord. Yes. I thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for those in our body that are sick, those that need healing and uh, physical touch, emotional mental, financial, relationships are broken, whatever's going on, Lord, I pray that you pour out your healing on all of us in every way that we need it, Lord. Thank you, you take our pain, you take our sorrow, you take, our, you take all of our problems, Lord, and you bring them into subjection to your word. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God. So every sickness has to bow. Every brokenness has to bow. Every flaw or problem has to bow. Every stronghold or every problem in our lives has to bow to the name of Jesus and your Lordship. Lord, I thank you that you are Almighty God. Hallelujah. You are El Shaddai. You are there, Lord, all the time. You are the great I am. And I thank you that that's not the wannabe and it's not the has been, but you are the I am right yes. now. You don't change. You are God today. Yes. You were God yesterday, and you're going to be God forever. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord, for breathing life into us this morning. Continue to speak to us now, Lord. Lead us and guide us into all truth. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So um, we've been talking about uh, keys uh, for a couple of weeks now. This is the second, second time we're going to talk about it. Last week, I wasn't here. I was in quarantine. I wasn't sick, still not sick, but uh, trying to be responsible. You know, and, and uh, we do have some people that are sick. We do have some people who have been exposed and they're quarantined. We've got some people out of town. Uh, Jonathan that does the live stream, he's gone to Louisiana to work, uh, help aid um, those people that are going through the Hurricane Ida problems. And so, you know, this is a bit of an unusual Sunday in that regard. But uh, 
But I want to get into this message because I think <clears throat> the keys that we're talking about, the, the overall series is Keys, Mysteries, and Revelation. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about the keys, and then we're going to spend a few weeks probably on mysteries and then a few weeks on Revelation. And, I, and it's not the book of Revelation, it's Revelation of who God is. And by the way, the book of Revelation, if you read the title, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the end times. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> the keys are uh, significant because that's how we operate within our sphere of influence in the kingdom. If you don't have the keys and you don't understand what the keys are and you don't understand how it works, then there's a lot of things that are not working correctly for you. So last time we talked about Jesus being the key of knowledge, and just so you'll know, we're going to continue with that same theme that Jesus is the key, period, of everything, not just knowledge, but he is the key. If you get the Bible and you start in the beginning and you go all the way through to the very end, it's every bit of it is the story of who Jesus is going to be, who he is, and who he's going to be again, and who he was. It's all about Jesus from the beginning to the end, the revelation of who Jesus is and how that impacts our lives. And so in the Old Testament, they didn't know Jesus. He, he had some pre-incarnate uh, times that he showed up as the angel of the Lord, and they saw him. They didn't know exactly who he was, but they knew it wasn't just an angel. They knew it was something special. There were a few times that they actually worshiped the angel of the Lord. And angels always say, don't do that, you know, but the angel of the Lord allowed them to worship. So it had to be, it had to be an actual person in the Godhead. So, <clears throat> but the, the significance of the keys, I think, are, uh, are really crucial. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Matthew that, um, there's, a, there's probably about as much controversy about this as there is any other passage uh, because whole denominations and uh, churches have been built on this passage and the way that you interpret it. So Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? They said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked them the question, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So you probably know what the controversy is. Uh, the rock. We're going to talk about that a little later, but let me just say that uh, in this exchange, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus turned around and said back to him, you are Peter. I mean, it was like, a, it was like an honest exchange. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? It was just an exchange. I don't think Jesus was saying, you're something super duper special. He was just saying, you're Peter. And that word, we're going to talk about that. But you're Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say, upon you, I'm going to build my church. He said, upon the rock. So I believe that Peter was significant. I believe Jesus was telling him, you're part of the foundation of the church because you're one of the 12. You're going to be involved in all this. And he was. He was very significantly involved in the early church. But I believe Jesus was referring to himself as the rock, as being the foundation. And our confession and recognition of that, our submitting to his lordship, gives us the right then to receive the keys. So we can go home. That's it. Well, I'm going to tell you some other stuff. So that's, the, that's my interpretation of this. Now, and there, there's, some, there's some truth to all those other things. Uh, we've, I'm not discounting some of the other aspects of this. I'm just saying I don't believe Jesus was saying that Peter was some special apostle that the whole church needs to pay homage to forever. But, you know, he is. He is going to be one of the 12 in the new Jerusalem. There are going to be 12 foundations that talks about in Revelation 21. 12 foundations on the name of them all are going to be the apostles of the Lamb. That would be the original 12. And then it talks about the 24 elders that are going to be casting their crowns down and worshiping forever. Uh, I believe that's going to be the the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's going to be the 12 apostles. And that doesn't mean that there's not other apostles. It doesn't mean that there's anything special about one apostle over the others. There's 12 of them. It doesn't say Peter's got a special place. It just says there's 12. So anyway, so in this passage of Scripture, it says that they went into Caesarea Philippi in that region. And that region was... Predominantly Gentile, predominantly idolatrous. They worshipped a god named Pan. Uh, I think he was kind of a half goat, half man, sort of a critter. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of idolatrous worship there. It wasn't just this one. But it, there was this interesting geographical thing about this area, though. They had a, it was right at the base of Mount Hermon. It was a large mountain. It had a very, uh, a very high, like a sheer cliff that was rock. And at the bottom of it was a cave. And the cave had, had, a, it had an opening. It was a pretty good-sized cave. And you could see water down there. There was still water down the bottom of it. And that water was so deep that no one ever found the bottom of it, so they don't know how deep it was. They, they never could tell. I guess they put ropes and rocks and tried to, but they never could find the bottom. And so locally, that cave was considered to be a place where the local gods hung out, where they went to winter, you know, when it was cold. You know, our God doesn't have to winter anywhere, does he? He just, he, he, he can handle that. So this area, because it was, 
because it was idolatrous and because it was Gentile and they had all this mindset, it was considered to be uh, an area where this cave was like a gate to the underworld. And I have to admit, in all the years that I've been studying and reading and doing things, I never heard this before, but I, I did read an article about it, and, and evidently there were some people that referred to this cave as the gates of hell because it, they considered it to be the place of the dead, the place of where the gods hung out, and they actually would throw sacrifices into that water. And the routine was if they disappeared, they were accepted. If they, if they floated or something, they were rejected. You know, I don't know how they decided that, but... Uh, there's not much sense in idolatry anyway. It doesn't make any sense to the normal human. So, so just one, one thing to consider, though. Jesus was talking to his disciples in this region. They were right there. Everybody knew about Caesarea Philippi. Everybody knew it was a, a pagan area. Everybody knew that at the base of Mount Hermon there was this cave. Everybody understood that. So when Jesus talks about the gates of hell... Could have been multiple meanings. Could have been a physical, literal illustration of, you know, those, those demonic influences that all this region is bound by is not going to stop what I'm doing in my church. Could have also meant that literally the gates of hell, you know, nothing is going to stop me in my church. But I think specifically it's the idea that everything demonic, everything of hell is referencing death. It's the place of the dead. And there's no death that has power over us anymore now as believers. That, I believe, is the, is the real significance of the gates of hell part of that. But Jesus always told stories that were relevant. He told stories, you know, if he was walking through a field, he'd tell a story about sowing seed and being a farmer. If he was down by the sea, he'd talk about fishing. If he was in the marketplace, he'd talk about, you know, people buying and selling. I mean, he used every, every illustration was, it was significant because it was where he was and it was people could relate to. And I believe that's what happened here. Jesus was telling them something about the reason that they were in physically at that moment and they understood. It made sense to them. For whatever it's worth. Okay, so there's a few things I want to mention to you about Peter's confession. Now, I'm going to talk mostly about, about that part of this verse, about Peter's confession, how that all relates to us, and then probably next week we'll get more in-depth into the latter part of the, uh, that verse, which I'm sure y'all are all interested in, about the, the binding and loosing, and you know, everybody seems to focus on that. And that's significant, and we're going to talk about it in depth. But I, I want you to notice that Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that's not an intellectual assent. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So you can't, you can't even understand who God is in your natural mind unless the Spirit reveals it to you. And so I, I pray that way every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you, you called me, 
Thank you that you pursued me. Thank you that you won my heart. Thank you that you never gave up on me. Thank you that you, you were looking for me, searching for me when I wasn't interested in you at all, when I didn't care anything about the things of God, when I was a rebel, when I was an enemy. You sought me out and you won my heart. It was all God's grace. I mean, his grace made that possible. His grace enabled me to say yes. His grace was what caused it to happen when I said yes. I did have to respond, but if it weren't for him, I couldn't have even been called. I couldn't have even had the, the hunger in my heart to want to respond. God's grace is so awesome and great. We ought to be thanking God all the time. If, if you, you wonder sometimes, maybe you look at me and you think, man, that guy's always blubbered and crying. You know, I, I get emotional because I am appreciative of what God did. Just like I'm appreciative of my family. I'm appreciative of my health, my life. There's a lot of people that are not as fortunate. I don't compare myself, but I just know no matter what I have, it's better than I deserve. People ask me, how you doing? Better than I deserve. You know what I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve to be imprisoned and punished because I was a rebel. I was an enemy of God. And instead of that, he's opened the windows of heaven, poured out blessings them that I can't even begin to receive or recall. There's a lot to be thankful for. And so in our circumstances in everyday life, I, I want you to think about this. You, you have problems. You have struggles. You have situations that come up in your life, and they're unpleasant. They make you miserable. They frustrate you. They hurt. You have pain. You have sorrow and grief. We have loss. There are a lot of terrible, traumatic, bad things that happen in our lives all the time, all around us. And you can focus on that, and you're going to be all depressed and discouraged and singing like the old heave-haw song. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa! Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You can do that. You probably can't sing it quite like I just did, but I tell you what. <laughs> You can do that. But why? Why don't you just focus on God's goodness? Because no matter your circumstances, God is still good. His goodness is being poured out, and it can always be worse. You may look at your situation and say, man, this is horrible. This is bad. But look at your situation and say, look what God's doing. Look what the opportunities are. God is going to deliver me. God's going to heal me. God's going to save me. God's going to work this out. It's going to be okay because God's in charge. And if it doesn't work out okay, it's going to be okay too because I'm going to go to heaven and be forever with Jesus. How can you go wrong? It's all about the way we think. If you can get your eyes on him, focus on him, changes everything. So Peter didn't see that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, because he was so smart or because he was so in tune with everything. He saw it, and he understood it because God revealed it to him. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, it says, God has revealed them to us. He's talking about the things that we know spiritually. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God 
that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's something to get excited about. God has freely given us all things, and he wants us to understand that and know it. That's why we can, we can rejoice even when things are not going well. That's why we can be excited about life even when life is not really going all that well because he's given us all things. It's all about how you, how you perceive and who you look at and what you look at and how you let it affect you. If you let all the negative things be your focus, then you're going to be miserable and negative. If you let God's goodness be your focus, you're going to be filled with joy and peace and hope and love. And you're going to want to talk about it all the time. Talk about God's goodness. The living God. He is the I am. He is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. And I believe that was significant. When Peter said that, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. They were right there in an area where there was idolatrous worship going on, a bunch of dumb, dead idols. They couldn't hear. They couldn't speak. They couldn't do anything. They had to go hide out in a cave in the wintertime. But God is the living God. He is alive, and he wants to be alive in us. He wants to be alive to us. He wants us to understand who he is and how he wants to relate to us. In Genesis 15:1, God revealed himself. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Genesis 17:1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 26. The Lord appeared to Jacob and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Exodus 3, 6, Moses, meeting with God at the burning bush. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He is the I am. Peter recognized that, and he said, you're the son of the living God. You're not some wannabe. You are, because he is we got to realize that God is alive, and he wants to be part of every aspect in our lives, not just coming to church on Sunday morning for a couple of hours, not just when we, we have some event at church, not just when something, a crisis comes in our life. And we're, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, God welcomes you in a time of crisis. Don't get me wrong. But if you're just doing your own thing all the time, and then every time something comes up, that's a problem, you go and you pray, you better do a little heart check. And God wants to be part of your life all the time, not just when you have a crisis, not just when, when things are beginning to go south or go wrong. God wants to be part of our lives all the time. He's the God of the living. That's contrasted to dead idols. You know, I never really understood it. Except that, I guess, obviously, demons have some power. They can do some things. They don't have unlimited power, mind you, but they can do some things. And they can orchestrate events and activities within people. And so, for all these thousands of years now, since the beginning, people have worshipped the creation rather than the creator. And there have been times where they probably have actually seen things happen 
that keeps them at least believing that there is power there. But I would like to remind you that the prophet Elijah set up a little meeting with all the prophets of Baal. And he said, we're going to have a little test and see who is really God. And he said, y'all can prepare a sacrifice and put the wood and everything and then don't put any fire on it, just pray and see if Baal comes and answers by fire. Whoever answers by fire, that's the real God. And they, they prayed and they danced and they shouted and nothing was happening. And of course, he began to kind of tease them. What, you know, maybe, he's, maybe he's holed up in the winter. You know? Maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's hard of hearing. So then they begin to cut themselves and do all kinds of things. Which, by the way, you notice that's one of the things that young people do a lot nowadays because they are depressed and discouraged and hopeless and they feel like they've been rejected by people and they begin to injure themselves. That is not normal behavior. That is demonically influenced. And so finally Elijah got tired of waiting on him. He said, okay, you know, get you've had your time. You know, and then he... He said, okay, he prepared his offering and, and he had him bring water multiple times, poured it, and then the fire came down. And, and his prayer wasn't, wasn't a big, long prayer, and he didn't cut himself. He didn't dance around. He just prayed a simple prayer. God answered his prayer, came down, <laughs> burned everything up, even the, even the water in the trough, it took it all. And the people, I always thought it sounded funny. Their response was, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's kind of an odd thing to say, but it's really not. What they're saying is, the Lord God, Jehovah, the God that we're supposed to be worshiping, He is God. We know now, He is God. Our Lord, He is God. Our God, He is God. That's what they were saying. And we need to be so convinced of that, that nothing deters us. Nothing distracts us. Nothing changes our opinion about the circumstances in our life, the people that we deal with, the problems we may have, the victories we may see. Nothing should change your opinion about who God is. He is God, and He is the only God. There is no other. He is the living God. Peter's confession was really pretty deep. It was not just some little, you know, phrase, I mean, that was powerful. You are the Christ. That doesn't mean, you know, that you're Jesus and your last name is Christ. You know, Christ is a, that is a title. That's not part of his name. That means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who came to be all that we've been waiting for for thousands of years. The Christ, the Son of the living God. That's really amazing. And he couldn't have figured that out on his own because I don't think Peter was that smart. Matter of fact, if you look at his life, it was kind of a little bit of a comedy of errors. I'd like to have had a lot more uh, history of what Peter did. I think he would have been a real interesting character to follow. Probably about like my own life. You know, I, I have a lot of funny stories about myself and I, I tell them and... Uh, I'm always thinking, man, if I'd have just had a video camera when that happened, that would have been really good, you know. But Peter was, uh, he was significant among the apostles. And he was, would I remind you that he was one of the first to respond a lot of times 
but he was also one of the first ones to stub his toe. Again, reminds me of myself sometimes. I, I can get it right, and then I can get it wrong. I had a friend years ago that uh, he was talking about uh, relationships with women. He said, yeah, he said, you can make them mad, but you can make them glad again. I, I found that it's harder to make them glad than it is to make them mad. Uh, it's, uh, it's harder to take it back. And I will say this, absolutely. Once those words come out of your mouth, you can't take it back. And we need to be really careful and guard our mouth so that we don't say things that hurt people. Unfortunately, uh, people who are hurt and wounded have a tendency to respond that way all the time because everything in life you see it through the eyes of your hurt and pain and through your disappointments and through your rejections and through what you perceive. And so you have a tendency to respond that way and somebody says something to you and you just snap right back at them. God can deliver you from that. God can heal that in you. You don't have to be that way. We have a, a ministry offered through this church. Uh, it's part of a four-square ministry. It's called Cleansing Streams. We don't do it all the time, and since COVID, we haven't been able to do it uh, really at all. But it's very valuable because it helps you identify areas where you've been wounded and hurt and how you can be healed of that. And it's, it's not psychology. It's just getting delivered spiritually. You find out areas where the enemy has some influence in your life that's working, and you just take away his authority and cast him out. Say, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. And Jesus will heal you, set you free. And you can begin then to change the way you think. Change the way you think about God, who he is. Change the way you think about yourself and your circumstances. And then you won't act and react the same way in the future. And it's an ongoing struggle. We all, we all continue to grow. No one is perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear that there is no hope. I don't want to hear that I'm messed up and I'm always going to be messed up. I want to hear that I'm messed up, but I can be changed and healed. And that's what I want you to know is that God has a plan. And it's not a plan to just stay who you are and to be messed up and broken and to be a person that you got saved, but you still have to be a sinner. You are a saint. That's what the Bible says. You are a saint. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean that you're not just a sinner anymore. You've been saved from your sin, out of your sin, and you have a chance to walk with the Lord and to be new in every aspect of your life. Paul said, you are a new creation. The old things are passed away, and all things are becoming new. They are becoming new. The old man is dead we need to keep him dead. Don't let him keep resurrecting himself. Every time you, but that's what happens though. You know, when you're rocking along, everything's going good. And then, you know, you get angry and you run your mouth a little bit. You know, you just let the old man just resurrect and come right back up in you. You need to kill him again and get him out of there. And that's what, that's what Paul said. I crucify myself daily. I die daily. I'm, I'm always putting the old man down so that the new man can rule and reign in me. The new man is the one that's after the spirit, not the one that's after the flesh. My flesh cries out, and it's not always crying out for the living God, I can tell you that. My flesh wants, it wants to eat, it wants to sleep, it wants to, you know, to have fun. My flesh wants to do things. But my calling 
spiritually is to take all of my appetites, emotional appetites, mental appetites, physical appetites, and bring them into the subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's my calling. And I want to do what makes me feel good. But Jesus said, do what makes you whole and makes you a believer and makes you a disciple, makes you like me. So it's a struggle. We all struggle with it. But I'm encouraged because there's hope, hope that I can be changed, hope that I can be different. Today is a new day. Every morning the mercies are new. I start over with a fresh slate. And if I messed up yesterday, I get it to start over again today. That movie, uh, Groundhog Day, I just love that movie. Because every day, you know, it's like a new chance to figure it out all over again. And uh, I don't know how long that was supposed to have gone, but man, I mean, he, he had time to learn to play the piano like a, you know, like a concert pianist. I mean, he, he had time to figure it all out. But the beauty of it is that no matter what happened, he got to start over again the next day. Now, he didn't like that. And I probably wouldn't like it if it was literally like that. But I like the fact that I can start over with a clean slate. And God is not keeping a record. He says, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. He didn't say, I'm going to forget them. He said, I'm not going to remember them. I'm not going to bring them up. He knows about them, but he just chooses not to remember them. We, on the other hand, it's like we, we got you know, a computer and we're hitting that search button. Let's go back and find those old bad memories. Let's go back and find those things. And we're dredging it up all the time, playing it over and over again. This person said that to me. It hurt me. And I want to just keep replaying it. We need to do like God and say, I'm choosing not to remember those hurts and offenses anymore. I choose not to remember them. And when they come up, I'm not going to think about them in the same way that I used to. I'm going to think about them as different. So I forgive you. You hurt me. I forgive you. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive them for that. And now I'm blessing them. I bless them. I'm speaking well of them. When you begin to speak well of them and pray for them, when those memories do come back up, even though you're choosing not to remember, when they come back up, you can say, well, I don't think of them that way. I think of them now as they're blessed. They're not mean and cruel and nasty. I'm thinking of how blessed they are because I've been blessing them every day. I've been calling their name out before God saying, make them happy, make them whole, reveal your peace and love to them, show them how to walk with you, give them mercy and kindness and goodness, fill them with all of your goodness. You start speaking that over people, you won't think about them in a bad way anymore. You'll be thinking about them as how blessed they are because that's what you've been saying about them. First thing you know, the devil will quit reminding you about them because it's contrary to what he's trying to do in your life. He will remind you of it as long as you're going to grumble and get all bent out of shape, but when you start blessing people, he'll quit bringing them up. Okay, the stone and the rock. So Peter, the word is Petros. It's a little stone. It's like a chip off the old block, so to speak. You know, it's a little piece, a chip. Think about this right there. Maybe they were right there below Mount Hermon. Here's this big cliff. All you can see is this big face of rock. And Peter, he makes this confession, and Jesus says, yeah, you're Peter. You're a little chip. Take a look at that. That's the rock. Kind of gives you a, a different way of thinking about that. Peter, Petros, is a little a little chip or stone. He's got a little strength. His confession was great, but his actions were weak. He followed Jesus, but he stumbled pretty often. 
he jumped out of the boat, but he was the first one to sink. I mean, you know, he, he, he jumped out, but he sank. He, uh, he confessed Christ, and then just a handful of verses later, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be crucified and killed, and I'm going to be rising again. And he took him aside and said, oh, Lord, you can't be talking that way. That's not going to happen. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan, because you're an offense to me. You don't understand. You don't understand. And so Peter, he had this great confession. Boom, you know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus turned around and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was quick to, to do some things, but he also was pretty quick to stumble. And I think we all are. We have our moments. Peter witnessed the transfiguration, but he didn't get the significance of it because he just didn't understand. Because when it came time, when it came time for Jesus to be crucified, he didn't understand that he was going to rise from the dead. He didn't understand that this had to happen. And yet when Moses and Elijah were there in the transfiguration talking with, with Jesus, that's what they were talking about. They were talking about his death. And Peter, you know, what he, all he could come up with was, man, this is a great thing that we're here. Let's build three tabernacles. You know, <laughs> It was all about just doing stuff in the natural because he was thinking in the natural. He had this one moment where God revealed this to him and he had this great confession, but most of the rest of his stuff was all just his natural. They came to the garden. Jesus said, and, and Peter was, he was significant, I'm telling you. He was one of the, the three of the inner circle, you know, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus said, come and pray with me. He pulled them aside and said, watch and pray with me for an hour. They couldn't, they slept. He came to them again, watch and pray, they were still sleeping. Watch and pray, they were still sleeping. And then, even though Jesus told them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to have this happen, when it actually comes down, what does Peter do? He whoops out a sword and cuts someone's ear off. You know, I mean, it just he, he was always impulsive and acting in his flesh. But he swore, he swore that he would even die to protect Jesus and to show his allegiance to him, and he he denied him three times. So Peter was real bold to say things and try to do them, but he was mostly doing it in his flesh. But something happened. And next week, we're going to talk about that in, in greater depth, what happened to Peter and what happens to all of us. But there's a difference between the rock that is the little stone or the chip versus the rock, the Petra, which is a foundation rock. Now, there's a, there's a number of verses that talk about Jesus being a rock 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it's talking about uh, the children of Israel in the desert when they've been delivered from Egypt. It says they, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they were about to die of thirst, and they were all crying and whining, and Moses struck the rock, and the water gushed out, and they were all saved. And it says that that rock followed them around. Now, I don't think it literally the rock followed him around, but Jesus, as the rock, was following him around. There was a pillar of cloud and fire all the time that followed him around. God provided for him all the time. They never went without water. A million or more walking around in the desert with a bunch of animals. And, and how, do you, how do you feed and water that kind of a group? Our God can do anything. And when they got to the end of the journey, 
They didn't even have uh, worn out sandals. The clothes weren't even worn out. God can do all kinds of things if we just trust Him. The rock is a lot different than a piece of the rock. So Jesus is the cornerstone. It's prophesied in Psalms 118, 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It was talking about Jesus. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Jesus said it in Mark 12. He said, have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation of the church. The church is built on him. Christ is the architect of the church. He is the maker and the builder. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. Christ is the foundation. We just read that. And uh, he is the foundation, the cornerstone. Christ is the builder, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Christ is the head of the church. In Colossians 1, 18, it says he is head of his body, the church. He's the head. We're the body. Christ is the foundation. He is the builder. And that's significant to understand that he said, I will build my church. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. He said, I will build my church. So we get to be co-laborers. We get to work with God, and we get to be part of his plan. But he's the one that does the building. He's the one that gives the increase. Nobody else can cause one thing to happen in the spiritual realm. I mean, it's all God. We operate in grace through faith. That's how everything happens in the spiritual realm. And we, we can impact what happens there, but we can't physically do anything. We have no power in ourselves. But in Jesus, we have authority to do things. He has given us the keys to the kingdom and said, go and do these things. And he even told us what those things were. He said, go make disciples of all the nations teaching them all things that I've taught you. He said, go, 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 over and over again. He sent them and he sent us. We are commissioned to go. We're commissioned to do the work of the kingdom. And most of us understand that, but I think most of us probably don't really do it that much. I think we're a little bit like, like Peter. I think we've, we see stuff, but we don't really understand the significance of it. We hear it, we don't really understand exactly what it means because it's, it's all spiritually discerned. The things that I'm saying to you, if your heart is not willing and receptive, if the Holy Spirit is not revealing it to you, I'm just giving you information. You know, I, I can make you laugh, I can probably even make you cry, you know, occasionally. I can pull at your heartstrings. I can give you great information, some new, new piece of historical information that you've probably never heard before or you know, something that would wow you intellectually. But that doesn't change you at all. The only thing that's going to change you is you allowing the Holy Spirit to apply the truth of God's Word to your heart. 
And that's what, what I hope to do as a pastor or a preacher or teacher is to give you that truth the best way that I can so that God can take that and apply it to your heart because that will change you. Now, when I tell stories, I tell them because they help you understand. And maybe it entertains you. Maybe it keeps you from falling asleep. I tell stories because I like to tell stories. I'm really more of a storyteller than a preacher anyway. But, I, but I, I like to talk about what God has done in my life. And I like to talk about my failings and flaws because it brings, it brings everything together. And you see how, how I've stumbled and yet God has raised me up. You see how I've made a mistake, but God has redeemed my mistake. You see how that, that this happened, but God does this. That's the reason that all this works is because we're all in this together. I don't have it all figured out any more than you do. But I know who does. Amen. I know where to look. I know where to find the truth. And if you find the truth, it'll set you free. The truth will definitely set you free. So one last piece of information. This is the piece of information. I read this. So when they were building Solomon's temple, you know, they, they quarried these big stones away and brought them there. It was like a puzzle. They didn't do it there on site because that would be offensive to God. So they, I mean, they did it all at the quarry. So somebody had planned it all. They had designed it out. They built it, and they began to deliver it. They started putting it together. This is supposedly this is a Jewish tradition that's been passed down historically. So they're building the temple, putting these big stones together, and this one funny-looking stone. They couldn't figure out where it went. I guess they didn't really have great instructions, you know. That's kind of the way I am. I start tearing open a box, you know, to put something together, and I just start wanting to put it together. And then when I got a few pieces left, I'm like, well, where did these go? So that's what happened. They kept trying to figure out where it went. They couldn't find it. They couldn't figure it out. And they kind of pushed it off to the side. And, and, uh, and literally, people were stumbling over this stone. That's what, that's what the Scripture says. The very chief cornerstone they were stumbling over and when they got down to the end they sent back word to the quarry hey send us the cornerstone we're ready to put it in they said oh you got it no we don't yeah you got it no you don't and then it's like hey what about that stone that we got tired of tripping over we tumbled off the cliff over there oh let's go fetch that and see it fit perfectly Jesus is the cornerstone and, and in your life he fits perfectly he is the foundation of everything in this life, everything that we know or believe or hope to know. He is the key to all of that. He is the key to all of that. We have to recognize our need for him and then give him place. When we let him be that cornerstone in our lives, it sets our feet on the right path, gets our minds right. It's like we've, we've got blinders on like those horses you know they don't want to be distracted to the right or the left they're just going straight ahead because they're focusing on where they're going they got a job to do that doesn't mean you can't stop and eat you can't stop and have a little rest drink some water but you got a job to do and you're focused on that job if you don't put a blinder on a horse you know they can look around i'm not a i'm not a horse rider things scare me they're big they could hurt you but we're the same way. Our eyes 
wander off the path and we start looking at other things. And believe me, the devil is really good at that. Worship team, y'all can come on back. So the devil, he's always shining, flashing, sparkly things because it gets your attention. And so you, you know, you're, you're going on the path and it's like, oh, what's that? You know, and, and you're all excited about it. Whoa, whoa, what's that over there? And we need to be focused on the, on the prize. That's what Paul said. He said, I, I am focused on the prize. I'm keeping my eyes on him. So here in a minute, we're going to partake of the Lord's table. And um, the way we're going to do that is I'm going to invite you to come and uh, get the elements, take them back to your seat, and then we'll all partake together. And if, you, if you're a visitor, if you're a believer, you're welcome to come and uh, join with us. We practice open communion. We just ask that you be a believer. Other than that, it's all fine. And I think there's, a, there's something significant that happens when we partake of communion. And it's, uh, it's, just a, it's not only just a great reminder of what Jesus did, but it, it is part of his provision for us. And it reminds us exactly how it came to pass. And I think Peter, Peter understood a few things spiritually, but after Jesus was risen from the dead and began to reveal himself to the disciples, and after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, everything changed. And we'll talk about that some more next week. And I think that's going to be really important for us. So let's stand, and, uh, and we're, as we go to this first song, we're going to have them come and get the elements. Uh, you just come and get them, take them back to your seat, and then we'll partake together in a minute.
Isaiah 53, and as we get ready to partake of communion, I want us to just have a, a little refresher of what Jesus did. Isaiah recorded these words about 700 years before Jesus came. Just think of the accuracy of this. He said, he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. The transgression of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but the, with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Over and over again in that passage, Isaiah was saying that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come. He was going to reveal himself. He was going to be rejected. He was going to be despised. He was going to be crucified. He was going to take stripes on his back for our healing. He was going to be uh, the bearer of all of our guilt, shame, and sin, and iniquities. He took it all upon himself so that we could be healed, mm -hmm. delivered, Jesus. saved, redeemed, and set free. Jesus. That's why we celebrate communion. Because what he did, what he did provides for everything that we need in this life. His body took those stripes 
The punishment he took on his, on his physical body provides our physical and emotional healing. By his stripes we are healed. Yes. By his blood we are healed spiritually. Yes. He told them the night that he shared this with them. He said, take this bread, break it, knead it. This is my body. It is broken for you. And it is all about the new covenant. And I am coming to make with you. And it's going to be a better covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant. This is going to be a covenant of peace. It's going to be a covenant that is unbreakable by you because you don't have to do anything except believe. He blessed that bread and he broke it and he said, now partake. So let's break and partake. In the same manner, he took the cup, he blessed it and he said, here, drink this. For this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you, you, shed for our sins, shed for our healing, shed for our deliverance, shed for our victory. Hallelujah. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we receive. We receive everything that we need now through the power of your shed blood. Yes. Heal, deliver, set us free now Thank in you. Jesus' name as we partake together. Amen.
Amen. So Jesus is asking that same question he asked the disciples that day. Who do you say I am? What's your answer? Is your answer you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, or is your answer, well, you're the focus of all those Bible stories I've heard all my life. You're that guy that lived way back when, and you were a good guy. He's asking all of us that question. If you've never answered that question, then today is a day. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Today you can be like Peter and you can say, I'm saying you are the Christ. I'm giving you the proper place. I'm letting you become the cornerstone in my life. Come right in and fill that void in my life. You are the son of the living God, and I want to know you and walk with you. If you need to know Jesus, you can come and we'll pray with you. If you have any other special prayer requests, you want someone to lay hands on you and pray for you or anoint you with oil, come and we'll pray with you. Otherwise, you're dismissed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his perfect peace. Yes. Go and be blessed. Have a great week. Come Wednesday night. Come next Sunday. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Do something. We're talking about it. Let's go do something about it. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you.